And a happy Friday to you folks. It is a fantastic Friday. And guess what? We're going to come up with a new saying today. We're just going to invent one by putting a couple together just to kind of show you that Friday is meant to be a mishmash kind of fun day. So have you ever heard good things come to those who wait? How about this? Good things come to those who are already grateful for everything they have. So if there's one way to attract more good stuff into your life, it's to already be grateful for the things that you have. If you want a better job, be grateful for the one you have. You want a nicer car, be grateful for the car that you currently have because there are a lot of people out in this world that would love to be in the position that you are at. Think about that for a second. Good things come to those who are already grateful for the things that they have. Now let's get this Friday going, baby. It's Friday, Friday, Friday. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now let's play hard. show play hard work hard finally friday here friday 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 we're here folks all right so we're getting ready for the weekend we're gonna talk about sports in a bit sterling's back after his day hiatus walkabout nice little walk was it was the weather okay it was cold man it was very cold we had a couple uh, fill-ins yesterday they did a all right job of course they never hold a, a candle to your Linguistic stylings. And my witticism. Delivering discourse. <laughs> Anywho, what we got? Sports, 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 sports today because it's Friday. Sports so important. You got to say it more than once. We got some news coming up as well. What else do we got? Newsmaker interview. We got World Shield Day. Jim Shear, as well as one of our flashback interviews. Ready for the stay sponsor? Who is it? Excuse me. Whoa. Had a little coffee bubble come up Yeah, you need the burping. And because this is live, hey, we just keep rolling with it. That, <laughs> I meant to do that. Of course. that was Because this was live. Nothing ever goes wrong. That's right. Even when you screw up, you meant to do it. So today's sponsor, Kate's Man Cave. Kate's Man Cave. Kate's Man we've Cave. Got, we've got a sponsor now. Kate's Man Cave. I want to hear about this. This is for male products. So if, if, if you've got, you know, certain... Needs social hygiene needs Kate's man cave and we have the link right at the website and that's all I'm going to really say about that it's and just by a the tease. way just the tip really and they've even got some CBD products too really yeah they do some CBD products yeah nice I think I'll have to take a look I just caught that by the way <laughs> just caught that just elevator isn't quite uh, operated in full <laughs> cylinders this morning. <laughs> but That's why you pay me the big bucks, man. <laughs> big buck. Okay, twice now. Very good then. All right. So what do we got coming up here? Oh, news coming up in just a uh, few segments as well. And uh, we've got, I suppose, some Biden news in there. And Keystone Pipeline. We've got Kathleen Skama scheduled a little bit later today. We were going to have her yesterday. 
Scheduling's my day went sideways, her day went sideways. She's executive director president for the Western Energy Alliance. Probably pretty busy right now. Oh, they've got all kinds of stuff going on. Oh, so well. uh, we appreciate her access. So that'll probably Monday, we'll probably air that, maybe get it on over the weekend on the interweb. But our newsmaker interview today on our Swan Energy phone line is with Jim Sher with World Shale Energy Day happening March 17th. And do you know why is that day? Why? Why is it? That is the first commercial hydraulic fracturing process in 1949 is March 17th. So 1949. there's a new movement afoot to basically celebrate World Shale Energy Day. Why so, not? Why not? So we're going to have Jim on to find out what it's about, see if we can't give those guys a little bit of a help and participate as well. I believe we're going to assist with some media uh, just to, you know, why not? Why not? Uh, you know, public awareness, we're all about that. We're all about inclusion. We're all about uh, diversifying. Good conversations. Yeah. So I see that you've got something there that you, you're looking Yeah, like I don't you... want to jump the gun on the news, man, but there's there's some funny ones that are jumping out. Okay. Uh, this one, just check this out. Oregon car thief scolds mom for leaving her child in a car he stole. <laughs> okay, read that headline again. That's gold. That, Oregon that... car thief scolds mom for leaving her child in a car he stole. Okay, so... Oregon police are searching for a man who stole a car Saturday morning without knowing a child was in the back seat and came back to lecture the mom for leaving the child unattended. He did, of course, keep the car and drive away. He hopped in the car, drove it, realized there was a four-year-old inside, drove back and ordered her to take the child out of the car and then drove away again. Oh, wow. Little boy was unharmed, police said. So uh, she was just 15 feet away from the car. This is the mother. Uh, she had the car in. She was just at a local meat market. She left the engine running, the doors unlocked, going inside for a few minutes to purchase meat and a gallon of milk. So. Uh, <laughs> Wait a minute. Where was this? This was in Oregon. Yeah. Where? Uh, where exactly in Oregon? Beaverton. I don't okay. know if that's kind of a small town or not, but. Uh, so let me, at let least me... lock the doors, so, man. The. The woman walked into a meat market in Beaverton? Yeah, it writes itself, doesn't it? And what was... Okay, this is, a, this is not a joke. This like, is a real... God, this, this is, is a, Friday. This is a real news headline? This is headline? a real news oh, headline. You picked a good one for yeah. Friday, man. So <laughs> a woman walks into a meat market in, in Beaverton. Beaverton. And what happened next? The mother, Crystal Leary, this is, the one, the, this is the woman who walked into the meat market in Beaverton. Crystal Leary left the engine of her car running and doors unlocked before going inside to purchase meat and milk. Well, of course. American staples. Well, I mean, what else do you get at a meat market? In Beaverton. Yep. She was just 15, away, 15 feet away <laughs> from the car on the other side of the glass, but turned around at the wrong moment. And how old was the kid? Four years old. So that's interesting in itself right there, because when I was growing up, you would leave kids in the car all the time. My parents Even at did. Four. But they'd lock the door. She well, didn't lock didn't the matter. door, they... left the car running. I mean, come on, man. Oh, the only thing the parents would say is leave the radio alone. Don't yeah. touch the radio. Don't, don't mess with my levels. Yeah, I mean, that's about it because yeah. you were, you know, I mean, that's just the way it was. And I'm and, surprised she put it in park. I mean, she could have just left it in neutral. It could have rolled slowly down. And I'm not speaking for everybody, but I know I'm speaking for some of these people out there, especially if they grew up in the country where there were supper clubs. Yeah. 
parents would drive for 15, 20 miles to go to these supper clubs, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the kids would just sit in the car. Or you'd go out in the car after dinner and sleep until they came out. I remember exactly. doing that. That's I what I'm saying. Yeah, so absolutely. The, the kids would be in this gravel parking lot yeah. in the car. Nowadays, you would get arrested so fast. That, and nowadays, even the thieves score. This well, is how this is how much the social shaming has gotten. Okay, a guy steals your car and comes back and says you're a bad mother, and then drives off with your car. Well, that, that's the funny. It, this it, is fantastic. If, if you can call it funny, they found the car. It was abandoned. They're still looking for the thief, but there's nothing in here that the mother is potentially being charged with endangerment of the child. Um, so, you, you got a really bad day when you go into the meat market in, in Beaverton, Beaverton, Utah. No, your Oregon, kid gets stolen. Oregon. They don't want your kid. They bring him back, then scold you. They steal your car. Don't want your car even. Like, there's nothing in your life that this thief wants. You just this, wasted that guy's entire afternoon. away going, out of all the people on the planet that I picked, yeah. I picked the one person that had nothing of value. See, now, if I ever turned car thief, if I've just decided to turn to a life of crime, that would be what would happen. My first time out. That's like that Better Call Saul pilot episode where they try to scam him when he's driving that yellow, blue or that yellow thing with different colored doors. And he goes, what about this says payday? This is a screaming pile of shit. He's just like, what? what's wrong with you kids? You're trying yeah, to scam me? You picked me? me? Yeah. Like, what's oh, man. that's You know, we were talking the other day about how so much of what used to be will never be again. And that's I can't even believe that a woman felt confident enough to leave a four-year-old mm-hmm. in the car. I mean, while it's running, doors Otis unlocked. is fourteen now, and mm-hmm. it wasn't until he was probably eleven or twelve that I even allowed him. Like when he was nine, nope, come in the store with me. Yep. Don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just there was this borderline time where, okay, if I walked by and I saw a five or a six-year-old. Would I judge it? Mm-hmm. Not do anything, but would I judge it? Because if I'm judging it, then someone's doing something about it. You know, that type of thing. I guess, you know, for me, it wouldn't, I wouldn't so much be like judging just as kind of looking around and make sure nobody tries to jack the kid. But I mean, you know, the, you're, like you said, the fact he gets in, can you imagine this guy is like sweet? He's getting away. It, it was a 2013 silver Honda Pilot. So we're not talking super quality car here, but you're making your getaway. You're feeling pretty good about things. And then you look in the back seat, and there's a four-year-old. I wonder what was going through the four-year-old's mind. Oh, I bet he was terrified. I, or completely oblivious. Just be like, oh, another one of mom's friends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uncle Jack's back. Yeah, Uncle Jack's. All right. <laughs> so anyway, I'm sorry I jumped out uh, of the news, but that one just couldn't couldn't wait. I just can't believe that the, the thief actually... Uh, we have gotten to the point where thieves will socially shame you now. Because you left a four-year-old in a car. Yeah. That is fantastic. <laughs> like, whoa. I, I remember thinking how odd it was. When, remember when the uh, frivolous lawsuits came back in the 90s? And the hot and, coffee and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just all these weird ones. And one of them was that a burglar won a lawsuit because they got hurt mm-hmm. on the broken window. Yeah, I think there's, you know, some states have that stand your ground. But some states, it's like entrapment, right? You can't. You can't trap your home so that if I break into it, it like there's not like a bear trap, right? No, but this was something like where the burglar broke in, but he cut himself on the glass. And he sued. And he sued and he won. Yeah, why not? And I just remember thinking, well, that's that's like just top of the line right there in yeah. terms of 
You can't make it up. No, dude. You just have to be tenacious, and you can sue anybody in this country. Oh, without a doubt. Or try to. I mean, try to. Well, that's kind of the way the courts work, right? Yeah, if you, you got know? the money. Well, isn't that what judges say? Not in my. This is my court, my law. I don't care what he says or he says or she says. My court. I mean, you could go to a different court and they can change it real quick. Yeah. So really, you're right. I mean, if you got enough money, you can, you can create the law. It just might take you 15 courts, but all you do is find the one judge to say yes. Well, I'm gonna hit that Mega Millions or Powerball soon, so I'll be able to afford any of that legal stuff. Can't wait for that to hit. All right. So what do we got coming up? Sports, sports, sports. sports. We've got news, and. Boy, a newsmaker interview, World Shale Energy Day, plus much more coming up on the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. And Frackleberry Hound is sleeping away. He's got to change his ways of thinking. He's got to grab a hold of the one he loves. The Crude Life, play hard, work hard, is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Morning show. It's the Crude Life Morning Show. Terry Edom is our guest, author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. He's also a blogger for Public Energy Number One and a writer for the BOE Report. The man, the myth, the legend, the author, the writer, the blogger. And he's right on our Swan Energy phone lines. Terry Edom, how are you doing? Pretty good. How about you? Hey, not too bad. I'd like to introduce you to Sterling. He he's lived all over the world, but he uh, anyway he's he grew up in an oil and gas compound, Dahran, in Saudi Arabia. So he's a a great addition to the program because he brings that kind of that uh, a different context, if you will. And so I thought the two of you should meet and and talk a little bit about the end of the fossil fuel insanity. How's how's the book doing? Uh, I think it's doing okay. I uh, don't pay too much attention. It's kind of old news a little bit, but it's still still valuable, I hope. Uh, and uh, I'm not really sure that it, I think it was totally named wrong. I don't see any end to the fossil fuel insanity. I think it's actually just heating up. 
Um, and, and Saudi Arabia is one of the big reasons uh, for that. Saudi Arabia and Russia and a few other big global players, I think. So uh, t- tell Sterling about your book. If you were, you know, at a, at, you met him at a bar or maybe at the airport and you were going to give him kind of that brief overview, try to sell him on your book, so to speak, how would you describe it? Sure. Well, I, I would describe it. So I, I primarily write for an oil and gas audience, mainly through the BOE report at my own website. Uh, and that's the, the biggest loyal following, I guess. So when I wrote the book, it was it was intended to be for the audience's audience. So I wanted to write a book that people could, that know something about energy, could hand to a relative or a friend in a, on the coast where they don't understand energy at all, even if they think they do. Or, but mostly people that are just curious about it and say, like, what, what's really going on here? Like, is are fossil fuels that evil or are they that great or whatever? So I wrote the book kind of in layman's terms and I tried to lay out uh, just just for the average citizen, like, who doesn't think about energy? I think that we have a tendency as humans not to think about things that are always there. We don't think about where the heat for our building comes from or the cooling if it's air conditioning or we go to the grocery store or the supermarket. We don't think about where stuff comes from. It's just there and we just take it for granted. So my, my, my aim with the book was to lay out for people uh, in an entertaining way to try and drag them in and make them keep reading about it because it's a pretty dry topic to try and get explain uh, how much we, we rely on fossil fuels in the world and just how hard it's going to be to get off them. And I tried not to be too judgmental about saying that they're the greatest thing since sliced bread, even though they kind of are. They invented where they made sliced bread possible. Um, but I, what the point of it was to say, even if you want to get off for whatever reason, that the task is just monumental and, and I don't think anyone really understands it. I talked to a couple of uh, electrical grid experts in there. One guy who is a uh, global pioneer in smart grid um, adaptation and installation and he's convinced that the world's main grid operators don't even understand what would be involved in going fully to a, an electrical renewable battery system. Uh, the, the, the system is so old and would require such massive updating the system as it is, never mind the build-out to connect everything new. So I, I'm very confident when I say that there's no one out there that really understands what a complete energy transition would, would mean. Uh, and I tried to make that case in the book. Yeah, and I, I was actually doing a little uh, a prep work uh, before we got on the phone with you, and I, I, I read a, a prior interview you had done and want to let you know that I've gone ahead and ordered the book because it sounds really fascinating. Um, oh, good man. Yeah, well, I mean, just, just reading some of the things that you were talking about from the book uh, really made sense to me. Growing up in the oil and gas community, I was not a part of it. I was not an employee, but my father was. All of my friends, fathers, and mothers were, and so we... I, I grew up reaping the advantages of, of oil and gas and, and have always had sort of a, I would consider it a moderate view where, yes, we're going to run out eventually, but no, you don't just turn it off today. I mean, unless you don't like lights or electricity or yeah. hot water or, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm just really curious. You know, you mentioned earlier that you see it even maybe getting more, um, you know, the gap between energy and between the environmentalists sort of widening. Um, and, you know, I, I see people like Greta and, and other people out there that are, it's becoming more of a social pressure movement, really, than a practical movement. I'm just kind of curious, have you heard anybody on the environmental side that has an actual plan, other than just we turn it off, magic happens, and then we're all happy? 
I've, I've read a couple of people that have plans, um, but they're just they're, they're just border on the absurd. There's an <laughs> economist from Stanford, or a couple of them. Uh, one guy has mapped out um, uh, Jacobson. I think his name is Mark Jacobson, uh, and, and he's a hero in green circles because he's he's mapped out this plan to get completely off of fossil fuels by 2050, completely. <laughs> And 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 it, it it this gets circulated because it's peer reviewed, and it, and and all these people reference it and they say no, it's possible. See, you just you just you're being hard headed. But I went through and I read the report, and he has things in there like um, all plane all air travel by the year 2040, I think, will under 1500 kilometers, which is about like 1200 miles or something like that, a thousand miles. All plane travel under a thousand miles will be done by electric planes. Just, and that's just complete gibberish. There's wow. no, um, there, there's nothing like that on the on the radar for any. Even the proponents of of it don't don't say that's realistic. But he bakes it into a model, and then it gets sold as being real. So, uh, I, I think that the uh, uh, we, we just seem to be diverging into this. Uh, like you say, you described it well. The, the the people that are they're just not bounded by reality. They're bounded by wishful thinking, and they have enough people. In, in the right uh, channels that, that confirm this for them, uh, that they, they and they just can't hear anything. I, I got in a little Twitter spat with a guy from a Green Party uh, day before yesterday. He posted something about how fossil fuels are killing the planet, and we need to get off them immediately. And somebody drug me into the conversation. I hate getting into it, but um, I, um, I I tweeted the guy back. I said, "Well, actually, you have it exactly backwards. Fossil fuels keep seven billion people alive now." And that's just the way it is. And uh, he tweeted back and he said, I disagree with everything you say. And I said, well, explain to me, like, uh, how, how am I wrong? And, and then I gave him an example. I said, at this very moment, China, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh are desperate to secure uh, oil or natural gas, heating oil. They're having a cold snap. The gas prices have gone through the roof. Uh, because they can't get any. They can't get spot cargo, so they're burning heating oil. They're burning everything they can. They're trying to stay alive. They're shutting down industries. This is happening right now. And I said to the guy, um, just explain to me then how we are not keeping uh, the world alive. And he, he replied back like a robot. He said, uh, the world can't handle, the atmosphere can't handle any more carbon. We must get off them now. And it's, it's, so it's just like you're talking to a robot. So... It's getting fascinating because those robots, at least in Canada, now have the reins of public policy, and now they do in the U.S. too. Welcome to the club. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I was going to ask you about Canada because that's where you live, and your, of course, day-to-day is osmosis Canadian uh, energy. And I was doing some research for an ESG article that we were doing in an interview we had this week with uh, Meridian Energy Group, Lance Medlin. They're talking about some of the work they're doing there. Of course, ESG, environmental, social governance. And right now, there's really no set standard. There's just, there's a lot of, we're getting closer and closer to some sort of uh, standard. But um, one of the websites I pulled up had, uh, the, the, you know, a, a set of criteria. And Canada was ranked number one in the nation or in the world uh, for, for being the most environmentally and social governance responsible. And um, I think they were number one in all three areas, actually. Yeah. And so not only were they number one overall, but in all three, in the top three. Now I, I don't, 
I mean, it was put out by Canadian government, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no. Propaganda. Yeah, it was actually some, some third-party site, and there wasn't, you know, they, they did have a formula and a criteria and that sort of thing. But, um, and I've talked to some people at the Federal Reserve, and, you know, they're working on their own formula too and, that, and, and everything. But um, what makes Canada so different than, you know, the United States or Saudi Arabia or some of these other, Russia, you know, some of these other countries? Why is, on one hand, it revered, and on the other hand, the pitchforks and torches get out so easy? <laughs> well, it's a good question. I think that there's kind of a, a bit of a bifurcation there. We, we do have some standards which sound bizarre uh, in terms of how stringent they are and, and i know critics will scoff at this but it's true i worked for a pipeline company for years and there's um we, we have a guideline for example that um at least here in alberta and i, I assume it's probably national too well i know it's in the neighboring province as well but if you have a still like of oil or hydrocarbons of more than a liter which is um like a there's four five four or five liters to a gallon just per magnitude it's like a quart or something if you have a spill of that magnitude or bigger off a lease site, it's a reportable release. So you have to report that to the government, and, and then that goes into the statistics of a spill or an oil incident or something. So, so the, the, like that's not very much. Like My brother works with some heavy equipment in, a, in the logging industry, and when this implementation came in, I don't know, a decade or so ago, it's like, what? Like, if you have a hydraulic fluid leak out in the out in the forest somewhere, it's a reportable spill, and, and, but it, that's the way it is. So that, that's one of the avenues where if people pay attention to those sort of standards, you, you could say, yeah, there really is, you, you can't get away with anything here, and that's a good thing. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying that it really is true. Uh, but at the same time, there was that smear job done on the oil sands about uh, 10, 10, 15 years ago, and, and Canada... Canada's industry did a really, really poor job of defending themselves. But there's, I, I know there's a group of environmentalists. They, when the oil sands were, were starting to be developed in Alberta, the oil sands are massive. There's 1.8 trillion barrels of oil in place, and it's it's spread over 144,000 square kilometers, which is about 100,000 square miles or something. Just massive, and and so we it started to get developed when the price of oil went up. It became economic to develop these bigger sites. And some environmentalists, or not environmentalists, I keep calling them that, they're not, they're activists, they panicked and they said, um, uh, well, if that, all that oil gets developed, how much carbon is that going to pump into the atmosphere? So they, they crunched these numbers. They said, well, if 1.8 trillion barrels of uh, worth of carbon gets put into the atmosphere, it's going to raise the Earth's temperature by whatever degrees. And so they then this they went full court press to lock in the oil sands, to blockade them, to demonize them. You have these websites in, in Britain and Belgium that are talking about how evil the oil sands are, and they just blew it right out of context, and nobody even stepped in to defend them. And, and the, the part that they all missed is that, as, as anyone that knows anything about an oil reservoir knows, most of it never comes out of the ground. And the oil sands, uh, in any, any publication you can find will say that no more than 10% is expected to, to, ever, to be recoverable even out of the oil sands. You're talking about one tenth of the problem that they foresaw, and even that one tenth at today's production rates would take like 150 to 200 years to produce. Um, but the, but the the activists just grabbed that headline number: 1.8 trillion barrels were all dead. And then we had we saw this global movement to demonize the oil sands, which is and I think a lot of the 
Canadian industry just stood there shell-shocked, saying, this can't be real, nobody's going to believe this, but they did. And, and now, as a result, we can't get any pipelines built, there's no capital flowing in, because we have this black eye amongst the activist movement. And they did a masterful job of convincing the world that, that an oil deposit is going to kill everyone, which, which is, still boggles my mind. Yeah, so it, it, it does, and I, I agree with you, activist is, is better than environmentalist, because it seems like the only real intent is to score sort of that uh, prop, media or moral victory. You know, it's it's more of a feel-good. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of it, and I'm trying to remember exactly. I think it was in Belgium or, or the Netherlands last year where they were, uh, there was a group that was actively going after an oil and gas company, and I, and I think their argument was uh, that because they pollute as a, you know, as a byproduct of, of, of their product, uh, that they should be held accountable for the health of pretty much everybody in the country. And so they were, they were talking about that as a potential big victory, uh, as a way to attack, you know, a way to go after oil and gas, uh, and to try to hold them accountable almost on the same level as you might hold uh, cigarette companies. Yeah. Um, I've heard that parallel. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, yeah, you know, that, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. Oh, I, so I was just wondering, I mean, you know, knowing all of that where you've, you've got, you know, in my experience, most people I've talked to that either work in oil and gas or are associated with it is they don't spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff because they're busy working or they are practical. They realize that at some point it'll all be gone. So we better do it as efficiently as possible. Um, but do you think there's a, is there room for dialogue? I mean, how do we have constructive conversations? I, you, you hit the nail on the head, I think, that, and the way I've described it, or I, I agree with yours completely, is that it's kind of an engineering-led business, and we're, we're busy doing stuff, we're busy providing fuel, and I think there's a tendency to think, well, people will figure this out when they look around at everything that comes from hydrocarbons, it's pretty much everything, and I think that when you work in the business, you see that you, um, you, can't, you, can't, you can't separate our way of life and the fact that 7 billion people are alive from hydrocarbons, whereas the activists think they can. They say, no, we can all survive this fine without them. And we say, no, we can't. So, so how do we start that conversation? And that, that's a really good question. Uh, I tied with my book. That, that was the intent of it, was to engage people that might... I think there's like 80% of people are in the middle, and they're willing to... Uh, they just don't understand, and most of them just don't care. There's, like, there's activists on the far side that will never listen to an argument. Uh, they're, they're well paid, they're well entrenched, and that's their businesses to try and wipe out the, uh, the oil patches. They're really good at what they do. They have whole um, teams of people. There's an uh, activist organization in Canada, it was Greenpeace, I think. They, uh, they had a posting on their website. They were paying somebody 75000 bucks or advertising to, and their job was to uh, make the oil and gas sector look bad. That was literally the definition of the job, um, which they... Once that got in the news, then they changed the description of it a little bit. But but they literally posted for that. So so how do you fight with that? There's not an oil company that I know of that is willing to hire someone solely to sit there and combat these things. And the associations haven't done a great job of it either. They've been they've been. That's one thing I discussed in my book. I think we've had too many decades of an industry, and it's not through anybody's fault. But we we've been used to dealing with government exclusively um, because government forever just wanted oil concessions developed so they invited companies in and they said if you have any problems we'll we'll help you with those problems we'll um give you uh 
uh, uh, tax write-offs and whatever so that you come in and develop them. So oil companies were used to dealing with governments and not public opinion. That's uh, the clearest example I could use of that was when Trump came into power. He put in uh, Rex Tillerson as his Secretary of State. Rex Tillerson had more experience with global heads of state than Trump did, um, and he and it was true. He did. He he he, knew, he had spent decades dealing with Russia and whoever else. Um, I even saw something recently about how ExxonMobil is, is providing intel to the U.S. government about China's activity in the South China Sea because um, ExxonMobil has had more experience dealing with the warships showing up at their drilling platforms than anybody else in the world. So they're geopolitically, oil companies have been at the heart of everything. And now all of a sudden they had to put on a PR face and justify their existence. And it, it's really hard to do. When, when the activists have such a running head start and they're so well-funded, there's just billions of dollars that flows into them. So it's a tough battle, and I don't really know how we get out of it until we have a big catastrophe, and that's what I'm afraid of. We're going to have a, a cold snap, and a lot of people are going to die because they're going to run out of natural gas or something, and I'm afraid that's what it's going to come down to, and that will catch the attention of the general public, I'm afraid. Biden uh, signed some executive orders. One of them was the Keystone Pipeline XL. And, of course, that comes, that's Oil Sands Canada. That's a big, big artery, isn't it? Has that thing ever been able to operate? Give us a rundown of that. What's what's going on from your perspective on that Keystone Pipeline with Biden and everything? Oh, yeah, it's dead as a post, I'm pretty sure. It's um, essentially, it was a big... um, conduit right from the oil sands to to the gulf of mexico refineries that love heavy oil uh, so venezuela and mexico have for decades supplied gulf of mexico refineries with heavy oil uh, mexican production has been falling for a long time and venezuela is a train wreck so so they, they need to source heavy oil and so it, it's a it's an absolutely perfect marriage the canadian oil sands and the gulf coast refiners because one produces exactly what the other needs for feedstock, um, but they're like for Biden. I, I, did, I, I gave it like about a 0.01 percent chance that he would approve it because the the cost to him of, of vetoing it is negligible. It'll cost him a few jobs. If he had approved it, he would have every one of those activists standing on his doorstep screaming for his head, and it's not going to take much to push him out of office. I don't think as it is anyway. So. There's, there's a lot of people waiting in the wings to take over from the old guy. So um, I, I, I don't think that he would risk uh, doing anything favorable to the, to the oil, oil patch. And, and the, the, the Keystone XL benefits Canada a little bit. Um, and the, um, uh, and the, the oil sands a lot. And so it's an easy thing to, to veto. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's the problem is that it's, it's an emotional, it's an easy victory because you're, you know, you're making your base happy, but you're also just sort of checking a box. And, but you know, on both sides of it, I'd like to see both sides come down a little bit so that they can actually talk about it. You know, whether you're, you know, it's lobbyists for oil and gas concerns that don't seem to have an effective message except pushback, or the activist environmentalists would are just trying to make us feel guilty, um, and you know, using sort of a shame to try to change things. I just, yeah, I just, I, I don't see how the temperature can come down, but I, I really, what I'm reading about this book, I can't wait to get it, because it's nice to hear that somebody's out there thinking about how we should have conversations. Yeah, yeah, and it's also the um, the strategic aspect of it, too, that's just being ignored, and, 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 and that's one thing that I mentioned at the outset, is that you, 
Uh, well, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced, and I think even uh, critics would say that um, oil demand is, is not going to go down substantially for many decades. And I was looking at the IEA, International Energy Agency's most recent forecast, and they're going green too from, from pressure from uh, activists. Uh, but even in their, their optimistic scenario where we get off oil quickly, in quotation marks, they're still saying we're going to be spending or uh, consuming 60 million barrels a day by 2050. And I, I believe that's true. I think it'll be a lot more than that. But um, the smart geopolitical players in the world are looking at that and they're saying, how do we take advantage of this? Saudi Arabia is playing their cards so smart and Russia and China, but Russia especially. Russia announced last year... Um, a $230 billion, that's even U.S. dollars, not crappy little Canadian ones, $230 billion U.S. dollar uh, Arctic development program. They're, so they're, they're, I don't even know how much volume that's going to equate to, but they're embarking on this at the same time that Canada and the United States are, are banning access to any Arctic development. So they're, they're, they're going to be laughing for 30, 40 years out of this. The Saudis, the same. Um, Abu Dhabi has a $120 billion development plan. So all of these guys are, are looking out and saying, look look at the West. They're shooting themselves in the feet. They're getting caught up in this um, activist movement. They're destroying their industries. Who's going to be standing in 30 years? Who, who's going to be holding the reins for all of that oil demand, which is still going to be there? And even more so natural gas. Natural gas demand is just going to go up and up by anyone's forecast. And who, where is it going to come from? And we're going to go back to the place where, especially the United States, like uh, 30 years ago, where, where energy security was a big concern, like the biggest concern, where, where do we secure supply of oil from, which is one of the reasons, in my opinion, that the United States has been such good friends with Saudi Arabia for so long, mm-hmm. um, is that, that to, to ensure access to that, well, what's going to happen in 20 or 30 years when we have no industry left here in, in North America, and we're still dependent on oil, and those guys are going to hold all the cards. So that's just the the ominous cloud that I see on the horizon. And and people like like Biden's actions and these activists, they're like, they're just, they seem utterly clueless. They they probably aren't. There's got to be somebody in their shop pointing out these realities. I'm not that smart, but they are. And they should be able to see this. But I don't know how that message isn't getting through. Probably because it's such a hard one to deal with, you know, whereas it's so much easier to just say, yeah, this bad. Yeah. We had a guest on yesterday, Mark, Mike Marcel, and he, he got his start in Silicon Valley. And he made a comment that was really interesting that it just kind of skirted by. And I, I wanted to go back to it, but I didn't. But I think you might understand this as well. Uh, he said that when you're dealing, you know, in startups, it's bites and bits, you know, and when you're dealing in oil and gas, it's atoms. And he didn't say hydro, uh, hydrocarbons or molecules, but that, in my mind, that's what went after atoms. So when you're dealing in a startup in silicon, a computer IT type of a company, or even banking for that matter, you're, you're, you're dealing with bits and bytes, and when you're dealing with hydrocarbons and atoms, you need infrastructure. With bytes and bits, you don't. You can do. You can rent out some office in a hotel and and do it. You know, and and make a billion dollar company that has all kinds of implications on the economy and that sort of thing. I almost started wondering when he said that if that's not part of the disconnect, where a lot of leaderships are coming from, 
you know, white collar banker investment, uh, bits and bytes type of jobs. And they just don't really understand how the hydrocarbon, hydrocarbon atom world works. Am, am, am I out to lunch on that, Terry, or what? Uh, I agree. I, <laughs> I think the, the way that I phrase that is, uh, I had a little different perspective on it. I hadn't thought about that, but that's a good way to look at it. That no one out there understands the concept of depletion outside of oil and gas. So, and they, and I know a lot of people, I've talked to them that say, okay, okay, fine, we need hydrocarbons, we just don't need any more development. Just just produce out what you have and then that'll make everybody happy. But they don't understand that fields deplete. And if, if oil consumption stays, let's say, it, let's say it goes from 100 million barrels a day down to 60, let's say they're e- even the optimists are right, we go down to 60 million barrels a day of consumption by 2050. At a 5% depletion rate, we're still going to be short tens of millions of barrels of oil by then. So even to keep production flat, you still need to develop new new fields. Like old ones get depleted, you need new ones, which means you need new infrastructure, you need new pipelines, need new connections. And and it, that's how it works, but they don't understand that. Like to, to keep production flat, there seems to be this uh, belief out there that if you, if you stop drilling around the world, we can still produce the same amount of oil for the next 30 years. We can't produce it for the next three weeks because of depletion. So that, but so that's part of the industry's task, I think, like you said, is to, to explain how these molecules work and say, okay, even if you, let, let's accept your map that we're going to get to 60 million barrels a day. Do you know what that means in terms of adding more, bar- of, of in terms of making sure that we have 60 million barrels a day? Like, what, what do you understand what that means in terms of new field development? and exploration, and new wells, and where is it going to come from? So, so there, there's a lot of work to be done, and I think a lot of people could listen to this if, if we as an industry can get our act together and, um, and, and start getting these proper messages out there and just getting people to think and, and just try and fight back against the tide of disinformation. It's really difficult. Like I, I remember the first time that somebody just very briefly showed me how you cannot replace one megawatt of coal with one megawatt of wind. It just, it doesn't replace physically in terms of science. And it was very easy for me to understand. To know that there's a lot of the leadership out there that not only do not understand that, but just won't. That's really, that's really dangerous. I think that's dangerous because we're talking about heating homes. We're talking about powering people's lives. We're talking about a lifestyle that you mentioned earlier, 7 billion people on the planet that's allowed that, that kind of growth to happen. Say, I, By the way, I'm at the boereport.com, boereport.com, and your guys' top headline, C-A-O-D-C, that's the Canadian Association of Oil Well Drilling Contractors, is extremely disappointed with President Biden's decision to revoke the Keystone Pipeline's presidential permit retroactively. The association supports Premier Kenny's call for immediate response from the federal government. Who's Premier Kenny? That's our pre- premier of the province of Alberta. He's like your state uh, governor, I suppose. Okay, that's yeah. not. he's not like Trudeau's right-hand man or anything like that? No, no, him and Trudeau don't really like each other. So uh, uh, Kenny is on the um, uh, right side of the spectrum, a conservative, and Trudeau's 
what they call center, but more left of center for sure. So, yeah, they don't have a lot in common. Um, and Trudeau's our prime minister, and he's he's more interested in posing with Greta than he is in posing with an oil patch worker. So there's there's zero chance that he's going to go out on a limb to help the industry. So, yeah. That's interesting. The prime minister should explain the importance of our shared energy security interest to President Biden on his call tomorrow. I love it, man. I like how you guys are very just direct in the media. I, I think it's great. I wish America would take a few a few pages out of your well, guys' book. Eh? I appreciate, I appreciate that, but that's just a, like the DOE report is an industry publication, and you try and get that message into the national media, it's just not going to happen. They, they have, they're they're too busy with their climate change reporting committees to, to, to even hear that, this kind of message. It's just so, it's, it's very depressing listening to the media. Uh, and I know everybody complains about the media, but the level of ignorance out there with respect to energy is just mind-blowing. So You mentioned the solar oh. aspect. Like, people have been sold this, this bill of goods that if you put solar panels on your roof that you're, you're, you're either net zero or you're not, you're, um, uh, you're not, burning any fossil fuels but it's just it's just so utterly delusional you, you you generate a lot of power in the middle of the day when every other solar field is doing the same thing power consumption peaks late in the day when the sun's going down and that's when you suck on all of the hydrocarbon resources the coal-fired power plants and natural gas plants and, and everything else that you need as soon as the sun goes down or goes behind the cloud and but but people out there saying hey i got solar panels i'm not uh I'm green now, but you know, you're getting a big, fat government subsidy check every month is what you're getting, Um, but we got to explain that. That's part of the job. I see also TC Energy came out and said they're going to eliminate more than 1,000 jobs now in response to the the executive order. Yeah, they've cut down all of the uh, construction. I've, I've driven home. When I go home to see my parents, I drive across the prairies and for years, there's been this big pile of green pipes sitting in a field ready to go. Uh, the Keystone XL was first kicked off in 2008, remember, so it's been 12 years. And it, it looks like it's finally, the big beast has finally breathed its last breath, I think. So, uh, but but I, I, just, I never saw this, I never saw it going ahead for years. So, Do you know, is, is TC Energy, that's a Canadian company, correct? Yeah. So they're Calgary-based, right? They are Calgary-based, yeah. Do you, now, are those 1,000 jobs, are those Canadian jobs? Are those American jobs? Are those both jobs? Do you know? Is, is, is this too early to tell? Or I, I would say it's pretty much both. They were working on pipeline spreads all across uh, from here to the Gulf of Mexico, pretty much. I know that they were, like, there, there has been some pipeline constructed in the U.S. There's been some constructed in Canada. Uh, the, the, ironically, the cross-border infrastructure has been built. I, re, I just read that in the, news, in the news the other day, which is like really ironic because that's the only thing that was holding it up. So the infrastructure is there. Um, I have an, an idea that I saw in the news that I, occurred to me and some, somebody else might have mentioned it a long time ago, but if, if these guys were smart, they would build a pipe right up to the border, build a rail terminal with like 5,000 dedicated cars, build a rail line across the border, and then restart the pipe, uh, and then uh, just settle, fill up rail cars, haul them across the border, dump them in the pipeline again, which sounds like the dumbest thing in the world, but it would work, and they would get the pipeline built. And at the end of the day, if the price of oil goes way up, which I believe it's going to, um, all of that oil sands oil is going to start flowing again. It's just going to move on rail cars. 
that's the ultimate irony for all of these activists that, that think they've scored a victory. You haven't done a thing to help the environment, not one. You, you've just penalized North America's energy uh, strategic options. That's all you've done. So hats off to you guys, but... Yeah, and in fact, making it even less safe. I mean, as I understand it, one of the other advantages of the of the pipelines in general is you're removing a significant load of trucking and rail from that process, right? Absolutely. So, and that statistics yeah. way more likely for them to have an accident. Yeah, and the spills are more likely to happen a lot more frequently with with rail cars. Um, rail. Somebody from the railway industry pointed this out to me. I didn't even realize it, but they said. You realize that a lot of rail lines tend to be built near waterways, like yeah. through valleys and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So that just increases the chance of an oil spill even more. Or um, towns. And if you want to talk, <laughs> towns. Yeah, exactly. You go right through towns. You're hauling the stuff right through towns. Um, well, we, we have... We, we had the Castleton. Castleton is 20, 20 minutes yeah. outside of Fargo. We that had was that last year. No, that was 2014, 15. Jeez. Was that rail car explosion, BNSF. Um... I wanted to ask you about like line three up in uh, Bemidji, Minnesota. There's uh, protests happening quite a bit over in East Grand Forks and the uh, small groups, small groups, the rumblings, the war drums, if you will. And I didn't mean that against Native Americans. I just I meant that as an actual just, you know, football game or something like that, I guess. But see, I can't do it. I cannot. I have not been able to go one show without offending a country or a culture yet. Yeah, he's checking all the boxes. I, I just, I cannot do it, man. I just, you know. Anyway, but uh, line three, you know, uh, obviously the DAPL, um, we talked about that yesterday with the Bismarck mayor. He's concerned about uh, a, a rerun of that happening, you know, based on some of the Keystone XL pipeline. Anyway, just, the, you know, the tea leaves and the signs and everything. Do you, but uh, are there any pipelines that you're keeping an eye on? Like I mentioned that line three just because it's close to... Canada. I don't know if you guys are affected by that or not. Oh yeah, we'd be hugely affected by that. There's, uh, it's one of the few um, arteries that's being worked on that would increase export. We we can't get our oil out of Western Canada. We don't have enough pipe right now. We do, but there's not enough to handle the growth, uh, any kind of growth. And line three is replacing. That's an Enbridge line, and it's made to replace a really old line, which should be replaced. And, and they just chose, to, when they're replacing it, they chose to expand the size of it, which, of course, set everyone off. Um, and so that, that's in danger. And uh, I don't know if it'll get done or not. There's a lot of work that's been done, but uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't seem like it matters what approvals you have. Uh, there's a group somewhere that can stop something. Um, even worse than line, five, line three is line five, which is an Enbridge line, which crosses through a body of water in Michigan, one of the Great Lakes, I think, or the where two Great Lakes meet, and it's underwater, and the governor of Michigan has ordered that pipeline to be shut down. It's like 500,000 barrels a day. She said by May it has to be shut down because there's a risk of a spill into the water. That would be devastating for southern Ontario refineries, including all of the uh, jet fuel required for Toronto's uh, airport, which is pretty big. It would cut off all of the propane supply to northern Michigan and all of fuel supply to northern Michigan. Um, and the governor doesn't seem to care. She just says, nope, it's got to go. Um, so th- those are the kind of risks that are that the pipeline industry is facing. I think it was energy transfer uh, president was in the news yesterday. I saw an article where he, he said, and I believe him, he said that he doesn't think that there will be any more pipeline construction in North America. He just doesn't think it's going to happen. 
other than some maybe little minor uh, in-state things. But anything that crosses the border, uh, he doesn't think it'll get built. And I agree with him. I think that whoever owns the infrastructure now is, is golden. They're going to have their stuff full forever. And the highways and the um, rail lines are going to fill up with uh, hydrocarbons. There, there's a, This is just beyond belief to me, but in uh, the northeast U.S., there's a company that's developed, and they've got approvals to start trucking natural gas from the Marcellus to the coast because they can't get a pipeline built. Jeez. So you've got these ro- rolling bombs heading down the highway every day to deliver natural gas hundreds of miles, which, which is just beyond insanity. Um, but that's what you have to do to get fuel to people these days. So, uh, like, I, I don't know, we're in la-la land. I think what we should do is we should try to get activists against the pipeline. If they want it to be truly safe, they need to each get two buckets, go up, and carry it down to the coast. I think if we formed like a human chain of environmental wackos, we could do, uh, you know, then they'd be doing something. Yeah. Well, you know what's ironic is that I've heard from almost every person that I know in the oil patch saying, Please, 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 why don't we just shut down all our pipelines for a week yeah. and see what these people think of them then? Yep. And I would love to do that, but as a free market industry, we just, no one will do that. Contractually, you couldn't. And I mean, Russia has done that. Russia did that to Europe uh, a couple of winters ago. In the dead of winter, they turned off a natural gas pipeline uh, as a wake up call to show who's boss. Um, and they got everybody's attention, and that's one reason why there's other pipelines being built, and a lot of LNG terminals were built in, in Europe because of that. They realized, holy crap, this is, sorry, I offended somebody there, I'm sure, but this, this is how the world works, and this is what happens if somebody wants to withhold our supply. Um, but here we just kind of, uh, it, it, there's one thing that's kind of ironic, if you haven't noticed, that the activists will never sabotage a pipeline enough to put it out of commission. They'll do. They'll sing and dance, and they'll halt the new ones. But they won't. Uh, like I invite them to go, st- go, go. Uh, turn off all of the. No, that's bad. Um, but um, they won't shut down a big pipeline because they know that there'll be huge economic consequences, and there'll be consequences to people's lives. So they don't do it. Um, now I think that a lot of them climb over fences and do a lot of mischief. But um, there's there's some sort of a weird acknowledgement of respect there that they can't do that because people are going to get hurt it's a schizophrenia <laughs> you know and maybe maybe some of that is yeah. a, is a is just people's reaction to trying to deal with something that is so really a, you know it's a it's a it's a really large problem i mean and that's from somebody who has no idea how you'd even go about doing it except in the briefest layman's way but i mean i think most people just they just check out they just go okay it's easier to say it's black or white it's good or bad rather than nuance yeah yeah it's well and that's that's one thing that the activists have on their side like if you go to the average the average person on the street does not care at all about energy they care about when i first started writing i queried some people and said like what's interesting to you about energy and they said well the price of gas and i heard fracking is bad but other than that they don't care about anything um (laughs) and, and, and so yeah, um, I forgot what I was going to say there about the, uh, um, I'm sorry, I lost my No, that's on. okay. I stopped listening five minutes ago, too. No, what? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. I got to give a hard time. No, I actually, we're looking at the clock, and we got to uh, probably wrap up here. But I did want to ask you, do you follow American football? Uh, I do. I don't get to watch it very much, but I do enjoy it. 
We're, we're going to talk about some sports, 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 because, you know, it's so important. you got to say it more than once. Um, <laughs> yeah, hey, sports, man. They used to call that the toy department. Not anymore, man. I, that's, let's, take, let's have that the main event. Let's have politics be the toy department. The way, they, the way these politicians treat... It'd be like toddler or infant department. Well, it is. I I I look at Fox News and MSNBC as is, is Sports Center. That's all it is. Is 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 a bunch of guys talking shouting. Yeah, it's sports shouting. Yep. It just you know, hey, you know, yeah. they speculate here, speculate here, speculate yep. here, and then here's why I was right, even though I was wrong. Well, here's why I was right, even though I was wrong. It's just that back and forth. But <laughs> so um, this weekend we've got some pretty good matchups. We got the. Uh, Tom Brady led Tampa Bay Buccaneers against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And then you've got Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills taking on Patrick Mahomes with the Kansas City Chiefs. Do you got any predictions, sir? I hope you're asking Sterling and not me. So I've been a Brady (laughs) fan forever. And and, and I guess because I'm older than him, I I really appreciate watching what he's done down there. Uh, I think that to me that's just a great story. Um, so uh, and, and and I I haven't watched much since the start of the season. I've just been too busy. Uh, uh, but I remember watching that transformation, and and so I, I got a soft spot for that guy. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Green Bay's pretty pretty tough. And the other matchup, I don't know. I I, I don't know. So uh, yeah, no predictions. Well, all right. You you well, you're you're gonna pick them because there's no wrong answer till Monday. But. Uh, <laughs> So I'm going to put you down for Tampa Bay because you kind of seem like you you, yeah. you you at least would would be comfortable there, and flip a coin on the yeah. other one. Who do we got? We got the Chiefs. Chiefs are interesting. By, by, Chiefs are very interesting because they've been sneaking some out. Like they're they, they look like they could fall at any time or just blow you out. Yeah, hang forty points. Right, on you right. And a half. They, they, there's they're schizophrenic right yeah, now, yeah. you know. And so and then who are they playing? The Bills. Oh, everybody's they got Bills got to be the big underdog, right? Oh, Over yeah. four in the Super Bowl. So yeah, I watched all four of those, unfortunately. Yeah. So which one you picking, sir? Chiefs for me. All right, so Kansas City. We got Terry Edom down for Tampa Bay in Kansas City. Yeah, it's just for fun. We're gonna do picks in our next segment. So uh, we thought we'd include right. we thought we'd include you, but give yourself uh, a plug, and of course we'll have the links available at the website. So uh, the boereport.com and then also publicenergynumber1.com and then uh, your books. Uh, where can people get your uh, books, End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity and et cetera? The end of Alrighty. Well, we're gonna take a brief pause. We come back. We're gonna talk some sports, 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 sports. It was great talking with you, Terry. Thank you very much for spending some time with us. Yeah, no, likewise, Billy. Good to meet you. Yeah, keep in touch. Well, my life story's kind of hard to explain.
the crude life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. All right, welcome back to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. We just had a great little discussion with Terry Edom, author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. Of course, you can get that interview at crudelife.com. Our news, rumors and news speak, we're going to push to Monday. We talked a little bit about some news earlier and, of course, a lot with Terry Edom, including the Keystone XL Pipeline. Our sponsor today, Kate's Man Cave. Man Cave. Kate's Man Cave. If you have some products that you would like for your man or you are a man and you're man enough to have these products. For your cave. For your cave, then go to your... Of course, they got CBD products, too. Uh, just go to the link of the website, Kate's Pure Romance Man Cave. It's Pure Romance products. So, of course, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more about that in the weeks to come. But right now, if you'd like to go to the link we have at the website, uh, at the show page, you can find that. Also, definitely worth a view. Swan Energy Phone Line. That's where we had our interview with Terry Edom with, with our Swan Energy Phone Line. And our newsmaker interview today, which will be on our Swan Energy Phone Line, is with Jim Shear. World Shale Energy Day coming up March 17th. Sterling, sports, 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 sports. sports, sports, sports. sports. You ready for some sports talk? Oh, man, finally. Finally. Friday. I love championship weekend. I yep. Grab my coffee. Yep. Looking pretty excited. Do you have a? Uh, okay. Here we go. Favorite Sorry, man. Here? I, I, I do. I I am very excited. Let's now, talk Terry Chiefs. Edom. Terry Edom picked Tampa Bay and Kansas City. So we'll get to that in just a second. So what are we looking at here? We're looking at the number five seeded Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the number one Green Bay Packers. This is an early. 3.05 start time, Which Eastern, nice 3.05 Eastern, so 2.05 Central time on Fox. The line, Packers minus three, over under is 51. Nice. This is going to be a fantastic matchup of two of the best quarterbacks of all time. Yep. And which is... The, and the both pa- teams are cooking right oh, now. Packers are scary yeah, good. Yeah, both of them are cooking. It's, it's nice to see not too many injuries. The thing that's interesting about Tampa Bay... Because I did not think Tampa Bay would even make the playoffs. Okay. Well, there was there was a midseason. There was a kind of a question. It looked like they might falter. Well, Tom Brady is is 
he's old. He, he's the goat. Well, though. he's younger than me, but no. not much. Yeah, but he's what? He's forty three. That's like eighty five in football. Right. Years. There's very few people that quarterback past age thirty eight. Yeah, I think he's currently the oldest quarterback. Probably. Yeah. But. The other part about that team that struck me as so so interesting in this last week, you know, Mike Evans, the big wide receiver stud, mm-hmm. he didn't have a very good game. Like, they've kind of been able to take him out this year because just of coverage and everything. Tampa's pretty deep. I mean, they... they, they well, their seem, defense is what put on a show last weekend. I mean, Their defense is good, I yes. mean, I mean, you, you had Drew Brees arguably not being able to throw, not a lot of zip in the... He's done. Ba- yeah, I'm, he's he's done. Dude had a collapsed lung like two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I talk Drew about Brees. gutting it out. The guy's a fantastic uh, yeah. um, specimen. He's he's Hall of Fame first ballot, no question Super about Bowl it. Super Bowl champion. But there's a great example of how Drew Brees fell off fast. Yeah, Tom Brady is getting better. How do you get better like that as the season goes on? Where it's it's showing that his decision making and. I just am amazed that he's. I mean, Gronk. Gronk is past his prime, but Gronk's one of those guys that you can just have one good game. That's all you need usually from him nowadays is that, one or two good passes. That's just it. Yep. I mean, he's surrounded by these role players yep. that have such great lineage that they can just have the game of their life out of the blue because eh, it's Gronk. Yeah, he probably could. I or wonder, zero catches because he's old. You know, when Brady was figuring out where he wanted to go, I wonder if Tampa was part of his consideration, not just because that they were a pretty stacked team, but I wonder if he was looking at it from a historical point of view. Because he's gotten just about everything you can get, but no team has ever played the Super Bowl in their home stadium, and it is in Tampa this year. Oh, I never thought of that. Yeah. The, that was the Vikings last year that were trying to get that. Was that a year or year? Yeah. Yeah. I think a year or two last ago. Year, right? Was it? No, it was two years ago. Oh, was it two years yeah, ago? It was two years okay. ago. Yeah. Um, U.S. Bank Stadium. Yeah. So, you know, I knowing a little bit about, you know, Brady's legacy, you wonder if that was part of his calculation, but should be a great game. I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge Packers fan, but when Rodgers just <laughs> steps back off a back foot and launches it 70 yards, I mean, have you seen some of his Hail Marys? Remember back against oh, yeah. Seattle and stuff like that? Just, dude, it's touched. So it, it should be a fun game. I remember when Aaron Rodgers had that. Uh, I, th- he, I think he went. Somebody got injured. Was it Favre got injured? And cause he replaced Favre, right? And then Aaron Rodgers kind of went in and w- took him on like an eight game win streak, or uh, could have been. They they had an injury, and I can't remember who the injury was. If it was the running back or who, who it was, but they should have been done. Mm-hmm. And Aaron Rodgers like carried them for eight games and I think they lost in the playoffs but that's when I saw Aaron Rodgers as the man like you know he was that HOF yeah. Hall of Fame quarterback yeah, and as much as you know you hate him and you know, but you know this year he's actually behind a team that's not either totally weak and or falling apart from injuries and that's so, what I'm getting at is that they've got a really good team this yeah. year it's not that crappy team that he took on a, a big win streak but so who are you picking you know, it's it's hard to pick against Brady, but uh, I like Rodgers in his home stadium. I mean, it's I've I've unfortunately I've witnessed Green Bay lose at home in the playoffs a couple times, and that used to be a, a pretty much a shoe in for them. But I think they're still going to win. I'm going to go with Tampa Bay. I'm just going to go with Tampa Bay. I'm going to I'm more rooting for Tom Brady. I'd mm-hmm. like to see him actually win one um, as a Buccaneer. I, sure. I just think it's cool when the old quarterbacks, like when Peyton Manning went and won it with the uh, Broncos. With the Broncos, yeah, he was. They wrote him off in Colts land. 
Yeah. You know, and well, he's coming back from a severe neck injury. Whatever. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, Brett Favre, they wrote him off and, uh, in Green Bay, and uh, you know that—that's what happens to old quarterbacks. Is they're valuable somewhere else. Like Philip Ridge at Rivers, he could have caught lightning in a bottle with yep. with the Colts this year, and he just retired. And he just retired. Yeah. You know they had a great defense. You know, and um, they had it's, a lot of injuries at the end of the year. But. You know, I wonder though. Let's say let's say Tom doesn't win, or let's say he gets the Super Bowl and loses. Do you think he comes back for another year, or do you think this is? Do you think if he wins, do you think he goes out? Absolutely. Yeah, I think absolutely. So too. If he if he wins it, he's going to retire. What else would you have to you, go after? I mean, you've got what seven rings at that point. You've won the Super Bowl in your hometown for your team. Yeah, you'd be better off coming back as a backup mentor, like saying, "Listen, I got nothing else to prove." Yeah. You know, I'm not doing it for the money anymore. That's a good idea, actually, because Tampa Bay would be in a tough position next year all of a sudden without Tom Brady. I mean, right. they'd be pretty much right back where they were before they got him. They, you know, it goes to show how much you need that bedrock of a QB. Speaking of a couple guys that win the big game, Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills. Two seed. I forgot they were a two seed. Oh, man, they are so fun to watch this year. Kansas City, number one seed, and they're at Arrowhead Stadium. Of course, Kansas City Chiefs are favored by three. I think it's a pick em, actually. But, yeah, I do, too. Uh, over-unders, 53 this is one of those games that's so interesting. Uh, it sounds like Mahomes is going to play. And, oh, is he? Yep. Okay. And then you've got uh, the Bills as well. So you've got two young studs. You've got Josh Allen, running quarterback. I think he was fourth in the league in rushing. Yeah, you've got two really similar quarterbacks in play style, you know, in terms of their ability to scramble and make plays happen outside of the pocket. You know, in fact, they, they tend to play better out of the pocket. I mentioned Kansas City, the way they've been playing. They, I mean, they almost lost to Cleveland last week. No, Cleveland was scrappy. That I was know, a fun game. Kansas City has just been getting by. And like I said, that's that's either, okay, we're, we're going to get upset, or, hey, we finally wrinkled out the irons, 45 nothing. Well, okay. hey, they, they lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship, what, two years ago by okay. six points, right? So they could have gone to the Super Bowl then. They went to the Super Bowl and won the next year. They're definitely, I think, the heavily – I mean, if, if Mahomes comes out and plays at 75% of his capacity, there's a good chance they're really going to win. I just think the Bills are going to win. I, I do. I, I, I think I'm, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll tell you. I'm picking the Bills. You I are. love. I. I am right. a big Chiefs fan. I all. I've been a Chiefs fan since uh, they brought in Montana back in the day. You know, I've lived through a bunch of. It was nice to see the Chiefs win. I'd like to see the Bills get there. I mean, could you picture like a, a, a any of the matchups would be great. Bills in Tampa Bay or Green Bay and talk about Green Bay Kansas City, two of the oldest franchises. Mm-hmm. That would be a historic game. What is so interesting about this, you are right, because the NFL wins no matter what. Yeah, it's I'm a so excited great because foursome. you've got, first of all, no matter who wins between Tampa Bay, you've got a Hall of Fame quarterback with Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. Yeah. So right away, you've got the storyline written there. And then on the opposite side, it's either the young buck of Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. So either way, the... It's a the, new guard of the old is guard, it, is baby. It the student beats the teacher, or does the teacher beat the student? Right. You know, now I am the master. Yeah, it's that old age thing. And yeah. um, interesting story, you know, for those folks who follow uh, anything to do with with the Bakken. Of course, we've got North Dakota State football. I think seven national championships in a row before COVID. So there's it was is, it seven? I stopped counting. Might even five. be eight. Yeah, I know it's seven. When I moved least. here, I think it was about five. So for a Division Two, they're one double A. You know, I call it Division Two, but um, they they're they're a dominant force. And Craig Bowl 
is now the coach of Wyoming, okay, where Josh Allen went to school. Yeah. Well, do you remember when Craig Bull abruptly left during the season? It was like they won one playoff game, and then all of a sudden he left, yeah. and then Chris Kleiman, who's now Kansas State coach, Chris Kleiman took over? Yeah. Craig Bull took off to go meet with Josh Allen because wow. Josh Allen was a freshman coming into Wyoming from California. Coaching change. Well, Josh Allen's thinking, well, I don't know this new coach, yeah. you know, and, and this and that. I didn't commit to him. So Bull had to dri literally drive across country to go meet with him and his parents to, you know, uh, make the case. Yeah. yeah. And I believe it was, jo I really believe it was Josh Allen. I think that if my memory serves me right. So what you know, is he now? What is he? Three 24. years, four years in the league, three yeah. years. In the league. Uh, Josh so Allen. His third year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. See, from my point of view, he's one of those guys that, you know, he might be awesome for the rest of his career, you know, or he might sort of fall into that maybe Kaepernick, model where he you remember when he ran for like 300 yards against green bay in yeah. a playoff game and then they never got back to the playoffs with him well you what, know it's but patrick mahomes seems like even if he never played another game or another one another super bowl he's already sort of cemented his status well i think the the difference is is that patrick mahomes just looks smooth as silk all oh, the geez. time right yeah josh allen is scrappy mm -hmm. he's more of a brett Favre. And so he's he's and Kaepernick too. Yeah, he's backyard but playing. He's they've also compared him a little bit to a Jeff George at times, which meaning that well, he's got a gun he's for got an a arm, gun he's for an arm, but they're cannon. not sure if he can transition. Yeah, the head game mm -hmm. to the NFL. I think he's just. I think he's uh, proven that that he can. Oh man, year. two really good playoff victories. I mean, it wasn't like they slid into this position. You know, they didn't back into the playoffs. They had two. Hard games they had to get here. Stefan Diggs really fit that team, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he that was. Really I mean, yeah, in. that's that was probably the final piece, really. You know, well, I think he led the league in receptions number, and yeah, yards, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, you can't get much. You can't get any better than no, that. Uh -uh. And of course, the Vikes did good with the uh, uh, Richard or Jefferson. Yeah trade as well jefferson out of that's LSU. the thing about the vikes i mean you know you hate to linger on a team that's not even in the playoffs but that's the problem man is that the vikings generally linger in the eight and eight level you know nine and six it's you know it's yeah. they're a mediocre team the last time we had a really good team it was case keenum and it was only the only chance they won against the saints it was a total miracle play it was awesome but right. i mean and the Vikings are another team that have been to what four Super Bowls and never won one. Mm -hmm. So That's yeah, right. we've we've got our own shame. Oh for four, baby. Yeah, yeah. And not Old even been four. back since the seventies. I don't think. So the one thing I wanted to ask you about: Did you follow at all about how the Kansas City Chiefs and Buffalo game might get moved? There was a movement to try to cancel yeah. the game. Well, I heard. I think it was not uh, cancel it. Uh, reschedule it. There was, I think, a Fox Sports analyst that was talking the other day about making the case that they should reschedule the game until Mahomes was out of. Uh, concussion protocol you know and like if you just read that just you know just on the surface my first thought was that's a great idea because we always love to see a football game with everybody playing right you know you hate it when your team gets there and they're missing six of their best guys but yeah then you start to think about it for a second you're like okay so when would you ever actually play a game yeah if you're waiting for everybody to be healthy well, and 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 that's the whole adversity aspect. Do you of get it. to pick three players that are kind of super players? Well, that okay, if these guys are are injured or we COVID, can't play, we can't play. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting too coming against you know that they're going to be playing the Bills because Bills had one of the best, if not one of the most historic comebacks in a playoff game with a backup quarterback, Frank Reich, oh, uh, yeah. co coach of the Colts now. 
Um, yeah, I think they were down like 28 points or something to the Oilers. That was an amazing – I watched that game I live. That. It was awesome. You know, and right. the, it, it was more special because they won with their backups than, and I don't even remember what happened the next week with the Bills. I think they lost in Pittsburgh. I don't remember, but they, uh, that game was magical. But would we be talking about it if, if Jim Kelly had been the quarterback and won? Probably no. not. No, it'd be, yeah, Kelly had a good game. Be another one. Be, it'd be another, another, yeah, another good game. Another patented John Elway comeback, <laughs> 55 to 7. <laughs> another oh, patented last second touchdown well it looks like they lost another one but Elway got his last second touchdown in so oh yeah I mean yeah it was tough being a Broncos fan for a while there you know there's some pretty good uh injuries too in sports um I remember Plaxico Burris do you remember the wide receiver from the uh, New York Jets no Giants New York yeah, Giants. Giants yep he I... shot himself with a gun in a nightclub yeah in his own leg in his own leg yep that's one of the greatest sports injuries of all time. And, and that pretty much did him in. I think that was pretty much it. I don't think he anybody did, wanted to touch him he afterwards. He made a comeback. I know did that. Uh, I don't think he did anything, but uh, he did He did try to mount a comeback. I do remember that because I'm going, the dude that shot himself in the leg? No well, way. Well, you know, he had gone from the Steelers after the Super Bowl, after their win, and he was a great, great receiver for Roethlisberger. He had the height. He had the speed. You know, but yeah, it, just some dumb mental errors, man. You know, what's funny is you think about how many of these guys end up injuring themselves outside of work. Well, that's right? what made me think of it. Like, okay, because COVID, you probably got injured outside of work then. Yeah. Well, if they're, everybody's in the bubble, this and that, well, you got it at the hotel or wherever the case is. So technically, it's kind of a away from work injury, you know, mo- <laughs> motorcycle accident. That's what made me think of the plaques. Could you burris. imagine, though, like... Like you remember, uh, I think it was uh, it was the punter for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and uh, I think it was back in gosh, I don't even remember two thousand six or something like that. But the the coach of the time, Jack Del Rio, brought in a block of wood and an axe into the locker room as sort of a visual aid. We're gonna chop the wood, right? So Chris Hansen, the punter, picks it up, misses the wood, slices his leg, goes on injury reserve for the rest of the season. He's done. I do remember that. That was about as good as the guy who cut himself uh, <laughs> opening a DVD. <laughs> That's right. Who was that? Uh, that was Mark uh, Eaton. No, not Mark. No, Eaton. Uh, Adam, Adam Eaton. Eaton. Adam. Yep. Eaton. Yeah, he sliced. And you know what? I could totally relate to that guy because I have done that myself. Is that but, what it was? He sliced. Yeah, he was DVD? trying to get into a DVD. Yeah, that um, was a good one. And there was another one uh, doing some hedge clippings. Bob Ojeda, I think, was his name. <laughs> he was a pitcher for the Mets. Yeah, somebody. Um, um, another one fell in the shower. God, I wish I could th- remember his name off the. Well, he, Jeff Kent, the Giants guy, yes. said he hurt his wrist washing his car, but later it was found out that he was popping wheelies on his motorcycle. I do remember that one. Yeah, because he had a, he had a no motorcycle mm-hmm. clause in his contract. So yeah. if he got caught on a motorcycle and got injured. His contract, like, got null and null void, and void yeah. or cost him some penalties or something <laughs> like know, that. You know, I wonder about, you know, with, with Hanson chopping his leg off nearly in the locker room, I'm presuming before a game or, you know, because yeah. they're getting motivated. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, what's the injury report you have to file? Right? Because they're a business. They've got HR. Right? So it's like, can you just imagine putting that report together? We should see if that's available under the uh, Free Information Act. Do you think some attorney said, let's, <laughs> let's go after Del Rio for bringing the axe? Yeah. Like, it was premeditated, man. I mean, yeah. I mean, who brings an axe into a <laughs> locker room? And Well, I always go back to, if you could charge the bartender for being responsible for everybody in the freaking bar, if they go leave the bar. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, the bartender's law. making minimum wage plus tips. And he's right? supposed to keep an eye on everybody who is apparently getting a drink yeah. because if, if they get in trouble. I mean, I, I can't even, I still blows my mind that they can hold a, legally, bartenders have been put in jail. 
for that without even knowing. But you'd think the coach get get held liable for that, right? <laughs> I mean, he brought he brought the axe in. I just hope they had a backup punter, you know, because not many teams do. <laughs> oh, usually it's a quarterback. <laughs> what the punting it? Yeah. Well, yeah. A lot of times. Well, it's like you know when you're. Uh, um, Growing up in baseball, a lot of times, short, you know, everybody was a pitcher because the pitchers are usually your best athletes and yep. um, shortstops and, you know, that sort of – a lot of times your quarterbacks are your best athletes and, and they play multiple positions. Yeah, know. I know they'll be the holders sometimes. I remember what Jets a uh, decade or so ago lost, lost both quarterbacks and didn't have anybody else or only had mm-hmm. one quarterback on the roster, so they ended up having to go to their punter. If you take a look at a lot of emergency quarterbacks, like guys not th- that are beyond the third string, yeah. it's usually like a punter or a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. It's somebody maybe played a little quarterback in, in college high or high yeah. school yeah, or something a, like that. Yeah. And then they did that on the on the side, and they just yeah. were better at that. And, yep. um, well, who was it? Tony Gonzalez was drafted in the NBA. Yeah. But he played football. Well, it's because he was like seven and a half feet tall. Yeah. But that's remarkable, though. I mean, when you think about the different uh, injuries and, mm-hmm. and, and concussions and just some of the things and everything. But Yeah, you could do a whole show on missed opportunities. How many years did Tony play for the Chiefs? They never got a playoff win. Then he switches over to the Falcons. They don't get a playoff. You know, they get smoked in the playoffs. Mention Jeff Kent's contract with the, doing the wheelies and the in the sports clause and that. You know, that would be an interesting. Yeah, what's in the segment. contract? Yeah, what's in the contract? And you know, Marshall Falk, off the top of my head, when he was in college, he had, uh, I believe, it was Lloyd's of London. Mm-hmm. You know, the the oh, they insured the, his the legs or something. Le- each leg for a million. Wow. So each knee was insured for a million bucks while he went to San Diego State in case he got injured in college because the dude was a guaranteed first-round draft pick his freshman year. Yeah. So his his people were smart enough to say, eh, we better insure That's interesting knee. that they were able to get – you know, I wonder, again, that's a whole other thing. How do you go through the process of insuring your knees? I heard J-Lo once insured her butt. Well, that's what I'm saying. We, we could do a whole segment on that. You know, of course, my, a lot of background I have with my connection with professional yeah, wrestling. With professional wrestling. That was the only insurance they could get. Yeah. Because no one else would insure a <laughs> yeah. professional wrestler. What do you do for a day job? Well, I hit people with chairs and I get thrown off stages. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the, Collision. The, the cannonball guy. The guy that shoots out of a cannonball. I mean, it's just. Well, he can't get health insurance either. Huh? Yeah. That's no. a pre existing condition. <laughs> His job is. Right. So. All right, so we've got Terry Eden has picked Tampa Bay versus Kansas City in the Super Bowl. Sterling has picked Green Bay versus the Buffalo Bills. And I, Jason Spees, have picked Tampa Bay versus the Buffalo Bills. We have three different... Boy, what what is the one we're missing here? Is the... Chiefs. Chiefs versus the... the uh, Bucks. Bucks. Or Chiefs versus nope. the uh, Chiefs versus Green Bay. Yeah, nobody picked Chiefs versus, and that's the that's actually one I'd love to. That's, that's the, the favorite. Thing. Any one of these, actually, that's actually you know the what favorite. they should do? They should play this weekend. The two winning teams should go play a Super Bowl. The two losing losing teams should go play the second Super that, Bowl. That actually, the third and fourth team would be fine. Too, right, I, I would yeah. love to watch any of those matchups. Call it the Toilet Bowl. Yeah, they should do that the every year. Bowl. By the way, I've actually yeah, wished, screw the Pro no, Bowl. No, I wish they would do this. Um, Every year, have the two worst teams in the NFL play. That would be awesome as as the warm up to the Super Bowl. Okay, the two so the Jacksonville Jaguars, Jacksonville Jaguars would play the uh, uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, the Bengals or the Lions (laughs) or whoever it is. Yep, (laughs) and the winner gets the first one. Ooh, they got a yeah, dude, cage match. The toilet bowl. There's your wrestling right there. That's what I'm saying. So okay, brilliant. 
know, just we got to get Vince on the phone. Got to do something like that. But yeah. all right, so we there we go for sports, 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 sports. Coming up next, it's our newsmaker interview, World Shale Energy Day. Jim Shear, right here on the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. That's Sterling. My name is Jason Spees. We'll see you Monday. Have a great weekend. Some falls down now. It's Pixie dust, I carry what I need, baby, you I can trust. I carry a note in the pocket of life, and a pencil and erase by my With Jason Speece. Thank you for joining the program today. If you want to look at America, you go to Permian and the Bakken, and, and that's what America should be united as one. And that's exactly what we are. And, and then, you know, that's what I love about the oil and gas industry. One county in Kansas, one single county, produced 9% of the world's oil. That was an oil that won World War One, As the British said from the floor of Parliament, the Allies floated to victory on a sea of oil. Works picked up here in the Permian Basin. Yeah, leadership really needs to take a look at how we've been doing things and constantly make changes in how we can do things better. Commodities are always, 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 any commodity business, whether it's milk or whether it's oil or whether it's apples, they always are boom or bust because the solution to low prices is high prices. The solution to high prices is, you know, is high prices. It's a big issue. You know, it's kind of red riding hood syndrome here. People making out the industry to be the big bad wolf. And on top of that, you know, you would get a nice increase in pay, as I'm sure most of us all know. When you move to oil field areas, you get a, a nice little bump in pay. After him and I having five margaritas over at the Cork and Pig, I called my boyfriend and I was like, Hey, do you want to move to Texas? And he was like, yeah, when, when are we moving? <laughs> and honestly, we moved about a month after that. This oil and gas industry, I've met some of the best people I've ever met in my life doing this. Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. My name is Jim Shearer from World Shale Energy Day. Excellent. Thank you for joining the program here today. World Shale Energy Day. Did I hear that right? That's a mouthful, and yes, you have it correct. World Shale Energy Day. Well, let's start off by talking about what World Shale Energy Day is. Well, it's great to chat. Let me tell you a little bit about World Shale Energy Day, which is a celebration of the great organic-rich black shales that are found worldwide. You said the black shales? Black shales, organic-rich black shales, they're uh, a gift of nature from uh, 1 and 200 million years ago where sediments were laid down and then compacted and evolving from this were hydrocarbons that we've been tapping uh, ever since for methane or natural gas and petroleum. How did this World Shale Earth Day come about? And talk to me a little bit about the genesis. Well, it's great that you actually said that misnomer. You said World Shale Earth Day, and that's actually how it got started. So Earth Day just had its 50th anniversary last uh, March, 
And those of us professionals in the shale industry thought, gosh, you know, every day is Earth Day with the shale industry. So we should have our own day and celebrate in like manner around the world the tremendous benefits of shale energy, shale gas, and petroleum. I should point out that I didn't plan that. No, I really did screw that up. That was that was 100% organic. <laughs> Wordplay there, too. Uh, talk to me about the date, when it is, and, and just kind of some of the details about it. Great. Well, the date we selected is March 17th, 2021, after scratching a lot of heads to come up with what date was a, a good date. There were many contenders, but we picked March 17th because... In 1949, it was the first commercial fracking day, hydrofracking, horizontal drilling, and uh, a, uh, a yield of um, commercial quantities of natural gas and oil. So therefore, we decided to set that day once a year as an annual celebration of World Shale Energy Day, March 17th. Interesting. I didn't realize that about the uh, date, the significance. Well, as I said, it was a challenge. Uh, many of us uh, threw out many ideas about what day would be best to uh, be challenged to find the first recovery of natural gas, right, and the first date of the recovery of oil. These things go back millennia. So uh, we just simply picked a commercial uh, uh, fracturing job that yielded a commercial quantity of uh, natural gas. And this is a global... Um Movement, is that correct? That's a good question. So, yes, it is the World Shale Energy Day. It could also be called an international shale energy celebration or a global shale love fest. This is a, a group of people who, who are uh, part of the industry who want to shale, uh, share and celebrate uh, during events on that single day the uh, transformative nature of organic rich black shale and also the innovations like horizontal drilling and, and rock tickling and fracturing that, uh, that allow that uh, shale to liberate that gas and oil that's been trapped there for a few hundred million years. It's really a, a nature's gift to us all uh, that we can uh, now get to something that's been sitting there uh, made for free and, and more easily um, captured than ever before. World Shale Energy Day. Now, if my notes are right, happening March 17th. Is that correct? That's right. March 17th, all day, 24-hour uh, celebration. Everybody can be involved. If you go to the website, you'll get details at worldshaleenergyday.org. That's O-R-G. And uh, sponsors and participants are building now uh, a group of uh, activities and celebrations some are doing celebrations in their home offices. Some are doing celebrations by having lectures and webinars. Some are celebrating by uh, taking tours to, to facilities. But with the overlay of COVID, uh, there'll be a little bit different celebration this year than the next year. Hopefully, we'll have more of a, an in-person celebration everywhere. A lot of it's going to be over social media, I imagine, with the pandemic and some of the restrictions from state to state. Talk to me about how you guys are raising awareness. You, you did a little bit, but, you know, just kind of in a 
concerted effort, how you're going to raise awareness, some of the distribution outlets. I mean, coming on the crude life is one way, so you don't have to name that. We're already doing that. (laughs) Well, the nice thing is that uh, the Internet is everywhere, right? So while it's true that shell formations are not found in every country, there are certainly beneficiaries worldwide. So use the Internet and social media with this newfangled thing called a hashtag, right, the pound sign or the at sign, and you can post on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram, any and all messages, and you'll see more and more postings come up from all of the uh, sponsors and partners and friends of this this um, uh, this um, celebration. So this is actually day one, the inaugural World Shale Energy Day, so we call it day one of one day for shale energy. Somebody listening might want to participate. They might want to sponsor. They might want to help out. How can somebody do all the above? That's great that you asked because the website tells all. So at worldshaleenergyday.org website, www.worldshaleenergyday.org are ways to make donations with the PayPal button, and you can fill out the contact form and say how you'd like to participate. And it could be individuals who simply want to celebrate. Uh, We expect celebrations in a couple hundred countries around the world, and those are people who, uh, who have been beneficiaries of shale energy. Many don't know that all of our hospitals and cogeneration plants and factories and uh, enterprises and schools use natural gas and and oil and uh, and we're all beneficiaries in some way and there are industries that build tools and utilities that help all this work so we expect a worldwide celebration and uh, social media on the internet is the way we're going to spread the word Looks like you guys are taking donations on your website, too. Talk to me about uh, the donation process or the sponsorship process. How, how are you guys, you know, making money? you got to give yourself a plug. That's great. So uh, small and large donations are, are posted on the website at the Donate Now button uh, using any debit card, credit card, PayPal account. It's easy. It's um, frictionless. It's... Um, encrypted it's safe it's uh it's the standard way to make a donation no checks have to be cut written or sent you simply just go online now which is really nice because with covid and uh, people wanting to do things touchlessly it's uh, easy to do that and sponsors send us their logo a high resolution logo and we put their logo on the website with a link back to their website to bring them more traffic and more attention uh, and we will post up their pictures of the celebration. We'll post up their text of the uh, the innovations that they've uh, come up with. And uh, the teams in upstream and midstream and downstream all can be celebrated. So if you have a story you want to tell and you want to show it on uh, the website, World Shell Energy Day, we'd be happy to post it there. And we're thrilled to have supporters and sponsors and uh, media partners uh, it's uh, it's our first year, so we have modest expectations, but year over year we hope to uh, grow this initiative and this brand to be um, an important contributor to marketing in the, the uh, world shale energy uh, market. 
Food Life with Jason Speece. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can speak for my 20 companies. They take it very serious. Makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota, United States Senate. Talking to Jason Spies, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. We all like living the crude life, so. <laughs> the Food Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Lance Medlin from Meridian Energy Group. They are spearheading the Davis Refinery in the Bakken, the Walton Refinery down in Texas, and soon to be an announcement coming out of Oklahoma. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Lance Medlin with Meridian Energy Group right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. I'm the city of Belfield. So we designed into our engineering standards engineering standards, downward-facing LEDs that have limited uh, illumination uh, so that it's not a, a visual nuisance. Uh, you know, part of ESG is not just what the environmental impacts are, but it's the S of the ESG as well. Social, what are the social impacts? And and we can go into, uh, we can go far down that road. And, and I'd like to introduce and talk about Meridian's brand green. So packaging up our ESG product, our ESG uh, corporate governance is, it's not so much rewriting and it's not so much adding on, it's really just unveiling. So we put our environmental social management plan on our website uh, sometime last year, and this was a document um, that describes how we manage our environmental and social corporate governance practices. Our ESMP, the environmental and social management plan, we decided to make that public. Um, because a lot of our contractors, partners, they started asking, okay, well, you guys have done well with this. Um, you know, do you mind sharing some of those documents with us? So we did. We, we just made them public. Um, our, our ESG charter, our, our minutes of meeting from our ESG committee, uh, all of it's public. And you can actually just go on our website, click on the ESG tab, and, and download it all and, and view it all. And I encourage others to, you know, if you don't have a mature environmental and social management plan, use ours as a template. Uh, I'm, I, we're perfectly fine with just taking ours and putting your name on it. Uh, we think we have a pretty good program, and, and we encourage others to use it as well. And that was Lance Medlin with Meridian Energy Group spearheading the Davis Refinery in the Bakken, the Walton Refinery in Texas, and a third to be added in Oklahoma. To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. 
While you're there, be sure to join our ever-growing army of social media energy enthusiasts at thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media tab. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard.